passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. All right, let's get back to our position previews. This time, the deepest position of them all, shortstop. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, February 15th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. I hope everybody enjoyed the Players We Love Valentine's Day podcast because we sure did, especially Scott. PG-13 <laughs> Scott. It was, it was definitely fun. Make sure to listen or watch On Demand if Scott, you haven't already. Scott was talking like that in the in the broad daylight too <laughs> the true. sun was shining through that, the windows that was not the scott white after dark which is usually when the animal comes out <laughs> i've heard but Jeez. no no it was it was during the daytime it was our earliest podcast of 2022 that is a fact i can only imagine if we did all of our podcasts at noon Oof, what, what kind Oof. of scout would we get day in and day out mm. who knows anyway Shortstop, Scotty, is a loaded position this season. 14 shortstop eligible players being drafted inside the top 100 picks in Fantasy Pros ADP. What exactly is your strategy when it comes to shortstop? And do you maybe avoid the position early because you know that you can get a really strong player in the middle rounds? What do you think? It depends what you mean by early because there there are about two rounds worth of hitters that I think are clearly a step up from then maybe about seven rounds worth of hitters. And and this is more or less true across all positions. And maybe it's more like six rounds of hitters than seven. But my point is, if, if you're just kind of broadly assessing players and not looking at the individual ways they contribute, not not really dissecting their their upsides and downsides on an individual level, you know, I'm 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 not if 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 it's the right time to take Trey Turner. Bo Bichette, obviously Fernando Tatis, one overall. I'm I'm not passing them over because they're a shortstop. Right. But if it's you know round four where ADP says you're supposed to take Francisco Lindor, I, there's no way I'm taking Francisco Lindor there because I I think Carlos Correa might be as good or better, and he goes four rounds later. Mm. But that's not really a shortstop thing. That that does much about you not liking Francisco Lindor. Well, no, I mean. For example, Austin Riley in round four. Uh, is he? Am I convinced he's that much better than Nolan Arenado, who goes in round six? No, but I'm much more likely to take Austin Riley because it's it's Arenado or bust after that. There's like a ton of shortstops in sure. that range of shortstops, so it makes it easy to to play the waiting game. 
Yeah, no, and that exactly was the point of the question. So, you know, maybe looking at another position like third base that's a little bit more uh, shallow early in the earlier rounds or, you know, those early to mid rounds, like rounds three through five, rather than targeting a shortstop then, uh, because you know, again, that you can get a Carlos Correa a little bit later on uh, in your drafts. What's going on, Chris? You are killing it lately with the wardrobe. Love the sweater. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> How do you choose which shortstop to draft this year? Again, there are so many great ones. Is it just like whoever falls to the best value or is there like a specific shortstop that you like drafting? What do you think about this position? Yeah, whenever the top player available on my board is shortstop, generally speaking, is when I take a shortstop. Okay, so you Next don't... Next question. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't have a specific strategy for it. Like if I have a pick within the first eight or so, there's a decent chance I'm going to take a shortstop because three of the top eight are shortstops right now in, in my rankings. So, you know, if I end up with Trey Turner, Fernando Tatis, or Bo Bichette, I'm thrilled. Otherwise, I'm probably more likely to wait, you know, four rounds or so because I don't love like the Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story range there in the late third, early fourth. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, it's I don't know. I guess there sounds are, a lot like what I just said. There are a handful <laughs> of players, though, that I don't love at shortstop. Like, especially in this early, like this top 100 or so, you know, that 15 players inside the top 100. There's like four or five that I don't really have all that much interest in drafting at their current costs. All right. It's um, just it, kind of interesting. And they are. Ooh. Well, I thought we could, we'd get to that, but <laughs> <Okay>. we will. <laughs> um, just going through it, I mean, Marcus Simeon, I don't love at 34.6. Uh, Trevor Agreed. Story at 39.4 until we know where he's playing. I certainly don't like that. Um, Lindor at 49.5 is a little early. Wander Franco at 54.7. I don't know. I'm still not sure how I feel about him. Javier Baez, Jess Chisholm, Jorge Polanco, maybe. Bobby Witt, maybe at 92.5. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm basically the more expensive guys in that tier. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's also just a position, yeah, like the problem is outside of that top 15, things got a little dicey too. So you probably want one of those top 15. Yeah, yeah, but 15, but I mean, that... that I don't love them through. universally is what sure. I would say. Yeah, and, and much like second base, which we mentioned on that podcast, there are a lot of those players are eligible at other positions as well. So sure. same thing here with shortstop. You're going to see some crossover between some second basemen as well. So you have to consider, yes, while you know this position is loaded up top, I do agree, Chris, that I think once you get outside that top 15 at the position, it's, it's a good amount. Um, but, you know, it dries up. So but keep that in mind. But there are still some sweet options outside. Yeah, there are still. Oh, too. yeah. And we'll, and we'll get to all of them. So some strategy yeah. talk, ADP reviews, sleepers, breakouts, and busts, and more. Let's start all the way up at the top with... Fernando Tatis Jr., who has an ADP of 1.3, and he also has outfield eligibility. So again, that's one of those players where you draft him early, and then you see how the rest of your draft plays out. You know, maybe you know halfway through your draft, you'll realize, oh, he's better suited for outfield on this team, and you can choose to do exactly that. He is ridiculous. I don't really know how much, yeah, how much there is to say about him. He's played 273 games. His 150 game pace is 44 home runs and 28 steals. Like, 
He is just awesome in terms of power and speed, 99th percentile barrel rate, 100th percentile expected slug, 96th percentile sprint speed. Again, like power and speed for days. Scott, the obvious risk here with Fernando Tatis is just the shoulder, and we just don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, He had a shoulder subluxation twice last year, which forced him to miss some time, but he was still amazing in the 130 games that he played. He still finished fifth overall. Yeah, you know, it, it would be really easy to to discount Tatis for the shoulder if Ronald Acuna didn't have a, a worse health issue going on coming back from torn ACL. Because, like, certainly in in Roto or, or any type of 5x5 five five categories league, those two, just in terms of ability, expected output, they're, they're just so far ahead of everybody else. So, you know, early on, the earliest drafts this offseason, it seemed like people were shying away from Tatis. Acuna, obviously, but Tatis is well there at the top. I'm, I'm glad cooler heads have prevailed because, I mean, he, he was going, he was dealing with the shoulder injury all of last year, right? It, it first, we first became aware of it in spring training when, you know, he was grimacing walking off the field then, and we were all freaked out. He still played. 130 games, which we'd be thrilled to get from Mike Trout, you know, 130 games. He did go on the IL three times. They were all minimum stays. One of them was for COVID. It wasn't even for the shoulder. Correct. So the shoulder sidelined him twice for very short periods of time. And from what I understand, this shoulder injury dates back to the minor leagues anyway. Like, I guess, I guess it, it flared up last year and he had trouble calming it down. Uh, but it's, it's been around for a long time is my understanding. And, and, you know, none of us had reason to care before then. So I, I think, you know, it's hard to say too much is being made of it when he's still going first overall on average, but I, I don't think, I, I don't see much justification to pass him over, at least in the standard five to five format and points leagues. There are a few other options there that I think, come close to him like Vladimir Guerrero and Juan Soto. Uh, but when you, in the format that really elevate the value of those stolen bases, I, I think you got to take Tatis number one. Yep. You mentioned minimal stays on the IL. Anyone who watches or listens to this podcast knows last year, I said that if he had a minimal stay on the IL the first time he hurt his shoulder, cause it looked really bad at the time that I would eat my hat. Of course, you know, I didn't, I didn't exactly eat the hat, but I started a podcast with the hat in my mouth uh, and much deserved because Fernando Tatis returned and he was still amazing. Uh, Chris, Trey Turner is the second overall player being drafted right now, ADP exactly of two. So uh, I think more often than not, in a categories league, in a roto league, you're going to have to decide between these two with the first overall pick. So who would you rather have, Fernando Tatis or Trey Turner? Man, it's it's really tough because on on the question of who's better, I think it's Fernando Tatis easily. Um and I think he'd be the best player in fantasy, even if Ronald Acuna was healthy. I think he's a better player than Ronald Acuna for fantasy. Um, there are some concerning signs for Fernando Tatis after he came back from the injury. It wasn't all, uh, you know, sunshines and sunshine and whatevers. Um, you know, he had a nine sixteen OPS, which is still quite good, but it was down from ten twenty before the injury, and that was with a thirty point higher, or sorry, in the second half. Um, and that was with a 30-point higher Babbitt. So, I don't know. For me, the way I look at it is it's not a question of whether Fernando Tatis is going to be good. I think when he's healthy, he's going to be good. 
it's a question of whether he can avoid a dramatic injury, you know, a catastrophic injury, I suppose would be. And it's the kind of thing where it feels inevitable. It feels like something like there's going to come a point where he's going to need surgery on this shoulder. And you just hope it doesn't happen this season, or you hope if it does happen, it, he can push it off until the off season, which I kind of wish he had done it this off season. I'd feel a little more confident in that, but when he's out there, I think he's going to be probably the best player in fantasy. So I would probably still go with Fernando Tatis, but being the injury agnostic guy that I am, I am more concerned about something like Fernando Tatis's injury. That's a recurring problem that has happened over and over and that hasn't been fixed. than I am something like Byron Buxton, who got hit by a pitch on the hand last year and then had a hip injury and then had concussions before that. Like I think one of those is more likely to recur and it's the Fernando Tatis version. So I think there's high risk. It's just, it's worth it. You're playing for first place. Yeah. And of course, Fernando Tatis going a lot earlier in drafts than Byron Buxton. So it's easier to take sure, that and risk. Well, and he should. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, I think that Trey Turner has a higher floor at this point and it has nothing to do with production. It's, only solely because of this uh, potential injury risk. So I think if I play in 12-team leagues or shallower, that I would take Fernando Tatis first overall. And if I play in deeper leagues, you know, maybe 14 or 15-team leagues or deeper, that I would take Trey Turner, less risk, and uh, obviously less replacement value in those deeper leagues. We spoke more about Trey Turner on the second base position preview, uh, if you want to hear what we had to say about him. Bo Bichette also goes in the middle of the first round. His ADP is 5.7, and he was amazing last year. He finished as the number one shortstop, the second overall player in Roto. Uh, Average 3.5 fantasy points per game. I think he takes a little bit of a hit in uh, points leagues because he doesn't walk as much, doesn't have as high of an OPS as other hitters that go in the middle of the first round. But he was still awesome. 298 batting average, 29 homers, 121 runs scored, 102 RBI, 25 steals. True five-category contributor. Scott, are you willing to use a mid-first-round pick on Bo Bichette? More so in a categories league, and then where should he go in a points league? Yeah, yeah, more so in a categories league. I'm actually not because I've made, you know, I, I actually wrote about it finally, what I'm calling the zero SB strategy or being intentionally unintentional about stolen bases. And that means I'm weighing the other stats more. In particular, I'm weighing home runs more. And Bo Bichette and Trey Turner, they stand out as the two first rounders who are likely to fall short of 30 home runs. I know Bichette only fell short of 30 home runs by one last year, but I I would still, if you set the over under at 30, I would still take the under for him. Um, So that pushes him, you know, he's still great at other things. And, you know, as, as hard as I try, I can't completely ignore the stolen bases. Right. But I, I, that, that pushes me him toward more toward the end of round one uh, behind somebody like Bryce Harper I have I have one Soto ahead of him as well, even though Soto Soto might be the third lowest in terms of home run expectations among first rounders. Um, and then I have like Jose Ramirez ahead of him, Trey Turner, of course. Yeah, he gets pushed more toward the end of round one, which you know maybe means I don't end up with much Bo Bichette, but you know it, it, there are drafts where he goes late in round one, so I'm not I'm not totally ruling out the possibility. 
Right. Um, Chris, I think there's a chance that the power could bounce back for Bo Bichette. I know he only had 29 home runs last year, but he had a 49% ground ball rate, which was pretty much out of character for him. And, and I think overall that put a cap on his home runs from last year. But if you look at 2019 and 2020 combined, that ground ball rate was right around 42.6%. So if he lowers that those ground balls again, raises the launch angle, I think we get up over 30 home runs. Maybe the steals take a little bit of a step back. He was super efficient last year too. So uh, maybe we're looking more at like 30 to 35 homers and 20 steals, but that would still be a really awesome player. Are you willing to use a mid first round pick on Boba Shett in a Roto categories league? I really struggle with someone like Bo Bichette who is so much better of a hitter in fantasy than he is in real life. And just that that dichotomy between those two things, the like 828 OPS is good, but it's not this elite number. It's not amazing. And then for fantasy, he's this obvious first rounder. And it's mostly because he amasses a ton of counting stats, you know, especially last season, 159 games, 690 plate appearances. And that was, you know, not primarily uh, in the leadoff spot. So it's, um, I struggle with it, but I just kind of have to accept it that it's just, unless something bad happens to that lineup, unless Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets hurt and someone like, it's probably going to be a really awesome lineup again, though probably not as good as last season. I think we probably saw something like, you know, a, best case ish scenario for a couple of guys in that lineup, including Marcus Simeon, who they haven't really replaced. So I think he's fine in the first round. You know, I don't know if it's 25 homers or 30 homers or 20 steals or 25 steals, but you're not going to be disappointed. You know, like you're not going to be hurt by, by Bobachet. I think there's, there's, there's very few ways that things go really, really wrong for him. I, I do Agreed. feel like, like we were saying about Ozzy Albies in the second base preview, I do feel like last year is probably closer to Bichette's best case scenario than his most likely scenario. Um, but his most likely scenario isn't far off from last year. I think it's just a little scary to say that, Scott. Like, I, I get why you're saying it, but so specifically for Bichette and Ozzy Albies, it's just they're still so young. It wouldn't surprise me if they're just getting better as players, right? So it's kind of hard to imagine because, sure. you know, they're coming off amazing seasons already. But yeah, I mean, they're still so young, right? Boba Shett turns yeah. 24 years right. old in they, March. They have to play better, I guess, to to like reasonably have a better season, I, I think is the way to put it. But it's entirely possible both of them do. And, you know, we did see the highest max exit velocity for Boba Shett in his, you know, very brief career, 115.5 miles per hour. So there's reason to think that the power could improve moving forward. Um, yeah, I, I like he's awesome. You know, there's there's only so many holes you can poke in poke in him, and there's you're you're basically you have to look for reasons to not draft him. I think for sure. Yeah, he is amazing, no doubt about it. For me, I have Bobichet sixth overall in my roto category rankings, and then I have him more so as an early to mid second round pick in points leagues. Again, because he just doesn't walk as much and OPS a little bit lower than some of those other proven bats like a Mookie Betts or or a Freddie Freeman in that format. Uh, so what we're going to do here, because there's so many shortstops to talk about, we're going to kind of cluster some of these names together. So there are three that are going within three picks of each other. We're going to skip over Marcus Semien. We spoke about him on the second base pod, but his ADP is 31.8. So going in the middle of the third round. But just after that. Trevor Story at pick 38.5, Xander Bogarts at pick 39.8, and then Tim Anderson with an ADP of 40th overall. It was a very interesting year for Trevor Story. 
Uh, it was a contract year for him. He's currently a free agent. We don't know where he's going to wind up. It sounds like for, uh, not for sure, I guess you never know, but almost likely that he is not going to be back with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Xander Bogarts was fine. I mean, he was a little bit uh, of a letdown in the second half of the season. And then Tim Anderson, I, I feel like he just did what he ho- what he always does. It's just, uh, he's usually good for like one IL stint per season. So, uh, Scott, who would you rather have of that group? And do you actually target anyone from this group? Trevor Story, uh, Xander Bogarts, and Tim Anderson going in that early fourth round range? No, I've I've never been tempted to take one of those three in this range. My personal experience, Trevor Story tends to fall. Um, obviously, ADP is what it is. But I've come closest to taking him because he might still be around in you know round six or whatever. But, you know, I understand why everybody who contributes stolen bases gets pushed up, right? So I understand why he ends up going with these despite the concerns of him leaving Colorado, him coming off a down season even in Colorado. I think there's a lot to be concerned about there. I, I just don't think I just don't think Bogarts and Tim Tim Anderson's the other one, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I don't feel like they stand out enough from that giant group of of shortstops that runs through Carlos Correa in my mind. Uh, he goes 84th. He's the 84th player drafted on average. Bogarts is probably the safest of that tier. So if you put a high value on security, then he's your guy. But you do pay for it. You do pay for it. I think. I think he's somebody who... You know, he's not one of those really high impact, high exit velocity types of guys, 55th in uh, 55th percentile average exit velocity last year. And so we saw him get back to more of that 20 to 25 homer range than the career high 33 he hit in 2019. And I, I think that's a more appropriate range for him. I wish I had another year of data with the, the new ball to to even say that more confidently but i mean you just look at the track record that 33 in 2019 the most the, the juiciest year of the juice ball era really stands out like it does for a lot of those middling exit velocity guys and uh but still you know you're talking about pretty safe for right around a 300 batting average with those 25 homers good plate discipline if that matters in your league just a solid player but i just don't think he's worth paying up for really yeah, uh, I, I think that's fair. I mean, again, solid, I think, is a good way to describe Xander Bogarts. He's going to give you a strong batting average, uh, if nothing else, middling power, 288 batting average or better in six of his last seven seasons for Xander Bogarts. Uh, Chris, it was a really weird season for Trevor Story, who hit just 251. It was his lowest batting average since 2017. Uh, his 293 BABIP was by far a career low for him last season, and uh, he just wasn't as good as at home. So he hit 296 with an 880 OPS in Coors Field last year for his career. That's 303 and a 972 OPS. And now we have the threat of him leaving Coors Field, and we just don't really know how much that's going to affect him. We saw someone like Nolan Arenado, who was consistently a 280-plus hitter, you know, 900-plus OPS bat, leave. And then last year, he hit 255 with an 807 OPS with the St. Louis Cardinals. We don't know yet where Trevor Story is going to play, but I think we almost have to expect that he's just not going to be nearly as good as he has been in years past. 
Yeah, I wouldn't expect that. I guess you could argue maybe he runs more away from course field. I don't I don't really know. You know, I think that's that's the kind of thing that we kind of tell ourselves to talk ourselves into why it won't be as bad when he leaves course. And maybe that will be the case, but I don't think we really know one way or the other. So yeah, I think he's a little pricey here. Um just because there's a decent chance that the only place he's above average outside of course field is stolen bases. You know, he might be a 25 homer, 20 stolen base guy who hits 260. And that's valuable, but it's not as valuable as this pick. Well, that's basically what he was last year. That's exactly what I've been saying. Last year in Colorado. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been saying all offseason, Scott, is I think Mm -hmm. you look at what he did last season and... That's what you should expect outside of Coors Field. 250, 24 homers, 20 steals, which is a very valuable player, you know, especially in a categories league. He gives you, you know, modest power and a good amount of speed as well. But is it worth a fourth round price tag? That's that's the question. Especially for a 29 year old who might be, you know, we don't know where he is on the aging curve yet. Yep. Uh, Chris, in terms of in a points league, who would you rather have from this group most? In a categories league, who would you rather have from this group? Uh, Again, it's Story, Bogarts, and Tim Anderson. I think I would rather have Bogarts in either. Um, but if it wasn't going to be Bogarts in either, it would probably be Bogarts in points for sure, Anderson in Roto, just because one, the steals, he's not as good of a stolen base guy as he probably should be uh, in a different situation. The White Sox just don't like to run all that much. And also, if he plays 155 games, he's going to get a ton of plate appearances and a ton of at-bats. And his... Really, really good batting average. I mean, 309 or better in three straight seasons with the underlying stack cast data to back it up. That combined with his high, his low walk rate actually makes him a very, very good batting average uh, addition to your team. I'm trying to think of another word, but you know, he could have... Si- What's that? Contributor, yes. Yep. He could have 640 at-bats next season. And... You know, be like a Whit Merrifield type with fewer steals. So I think um, more power. So yeah, he's if he stays healthy, he's probably a 300-2020 guy with a, a bunch of runs. So yeah, there's there's a lot to like there. Even if you could squint and see it being even better somewhere else. Yeah, uh, I agree or with if you. They just let him run. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's a good enough athlete to, to run more, but it just it hasn't happened. So I, I don't I don't know that we should expect it at this point. I think it's possible, but uh, you probably should not project that. The 322 batting average since the start of 2019 for Tim Anderson is the best in baseball among qualified hitters. So again, uh, single-handedly the best contributor in that category it does take a bit of a, a step back in points leagues because he does not walk at all. Yeah, but he's going to see a lot of volume, which obviously does help in that format. Um, yeah, I, I think he's probably the guy who, well, maybe Javier Baez. The, yeah. Well, maybe Jazz Chisholm too. <laughs> At least of, of the of the shortstops we think of as inarguably high-end, Story is the one with the clear difference between his roto and head-to-head Anderson. value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anderson, sorry. Uh, like perfectly suited for one category or for one format. And then, um, you know, the plate discipline is... Certainly, the walk rate is just so bad that it, it really, it really, um, 
dampens his potential in points leagues. I have seen people let him slip way too far, though, in points leagues, Scott. So I think people... Yeah, that can happen. Yeah, sure. like, they, they get this idea in their head that, like, oh, just don't draft Tim Anderson in points leagues. And then at some point, he just becomes a tremendous value. So I, The one we had on our YouTube channel, I yeah. think I got him in, like, round 11. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. A 12-team points league. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, I, and I'll... I think even in Roto, he he sometimes goes later than he should because I feel like there might be more skepticism than is deserved around his batting average. Like he's been basically <laughs> I, I, ninety. Kind of, yeah. What's that? I, I've kind of been leading the parade on that front. I have moved Tim Anderson <laughs> up since we. Who was the guest that day when we were talking about where I ranked Tim Anderson? I think it was Ariel. Wasn't it Ariel Cohen? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you guys made me feel so bad for having him 13th at the position. <laughs> that I, I've moved him up to 9th, which still means I probably am not at risk of drafting him because I don't really want to. All right, well. Um, but he does, his BABIP last year was 372, and it was the lowest in three years. And it's well, just and- like, if, you know, he, he has had a really high BABIP three years in a row. I'm not saying that's not part of his his profile, but as we say for Javier Baez, if it's just really hard to have an out uh, uh, that big of an outlier in a in a category like that that consistently. Like yeah. it just it just seems highly plausible that one year he's not going to be able to do that, and it, I, it could be this year. I think it's probably the way to f- say it is like he's probably been on the good side of variance three years in a row, which happens. That sometimes yeah. you roll you 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 get a heads three flips in a row, but. His baseline skill set is actually incredibly high when it comes to batting average. His expected batting average over the, over the past three seasons, 90th percentile, 91st percentile, 88th percentile. So he's still like an A contributor in batting average, even if the Babbitt isn't quite where it was. Yeah, last point on Tim Anderson. There's a reason, too, that he's been, I believe, on the good side of variance, and it's because he's hit more line drives during that span, made harder contact, and a willingness to go to all fields. So if you go to Fangrass and look at his spray chart, he's gone more up the middle and to opposite field the past three seasons than he did earlier on in his career, and I think uh, we are seeing the dividends of that uh, happen here for Tim Anderson. All right, let's he move on to... almost all of his home runs the other way. Yeah, it's interesting. He's an, he's just an awesome like hitter all around. Uh, yeah, fun only baseball two to watch. were put to the pull side last season. All right, next up we have uh, Francisco Lindor versus Wander Franco, and these are going in the early fifth round. The ADP is 49 for Lindor, and the ADP for Wander Franco is 52. Uh, very different players, I would say, at, at the respective points of their careers. Look, Francisco Lindor is coming off a, a, a truly bad season. Uh, I would say 230 batting average, 20 homers, did contribute 10 steals, but uh, it seems like he was pressing first year with the Mets, lots of pressure, playing in a big market, so on and so forth. He dealt with an oblique injury as well, which uh, limited him in terms of games played as well. Uh, and then Juan Franco, he's awesome, but we I, I'm just not really sure how to project Wander Franco in terms of power and speed this upcoming season. I think long-term, he's, he's probably going to be perfectly fine. Uh, and I think he's going to give you batting average this year, if nothing else. I just don't really know where the power and speed is coming here. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you this time. What do you think about Lindor versus Wander Franco in this early fifth-round range? I think they're both probably being drafted a little too early for my tastes. But, yeah, I don't know which one I would rather have at this price. I guess I would say... I don't know. Am I falling for the just take the young guy because of potential upside, even though the the old guy also has upside? I feel like that might be what I'm falling for. Um, Depends how much upside you think the old guy has. Yeah, because the thing about Franco is he was basically like a 55% stolen base guy 
over his minor league career, and then he came, got called up and in 70 games stole two bases last season. He's 85th percentile sprint speed, which is fast, but not, you know, it's not elite speed. It's pretty good speed, but 85, 85th percentile is when you start seeing like this guy, guy could go either way. So I think there's a decent chance that Wander Franco might just be a five stolen base guy. In which case, is yeah. the bat ready to carry the rest of the profile enough to justify this kind of cost? I think it's possible, but it's also possible he's more of like a 280-18 homer guy. Mm-hmm. In which case, he's probably fine. I think there's a high floor, but I think I would rather have Lindor. Scott, to me, it's format dependent. It's points league, Wander Franco. I almost want to create a rule like the way that you have the Salvador Perez rule where if he's available in the fourth round, you just take him regardless of what else is going on. I kind of feel that way about Wander Franco in a points league, right? Like in a points it, league. Yeah, if Franco's there yeah. in the fifth round, I just want to take him. I think yeah, he's going to be fantastic in that format. He was last year 3.3 fantasy points per game, and he did that as a 20-year-old. He's turning 21 years old. On March 1st. So the plate discipline is fantastic. Uh, I think even if he doesn't hit for a lot of home runs, those are going to be doubles. He's going to, you know, either lead off or hit second for one of the better lineups in baseball in Tampa Bay. And I know that you are not about Francisco Lindor, but I'm just, I'm living on narrative street here, Scotty. I think that first year with a new team, big contract, I think he gets back on track. And dare I say, I think we could see a poor man's Jose Ramirez type season out of Lindor. 25 to 30 homers, 12 to 15 steals, really, really strong counting stats, 260 to 270 batting average. And I think that would more than pay off this price tag in the early fifth round. Maybe. I mean, that, look, it's it's certainly possible. I My hunch is no. <laughs> my, hunch, my hunch is that Francisco Lindor, and I know I keep bang, banging this drum, but... I feel like he was a victim of the change in the baseball as well because, you know, it's it's interesting the path his career has taken. He got called up in, I believe it was 2015, uh, the year before the juice ball era began. And he was a good, he hit well, but it wasn't so power focused. It was more, you know, he's always been a low strikeout guy. It was it was more decent power, but a lot of batting average. And then his batted ball profile changed dramatically in 2016. Okay, so I got the years a little bit wrong. It was 2016 when he came up with that profile. And then his batted ball profile changed dramatically in 2017, the first full year of the juice ball year, because it kind of started in the second half of 2016. Um, I guess he saw... You know, that was kind of like when the fly ball revolution became a thing because fly balls were leaving the yard easier. So he became this big fly ball guy and it worked, you know, three straight years of 30 plus homers. Why wouldn't you do that? But then the ball changed again last year and he was still elevating the ball like that and he hit 230. And even when he had that big September where everyone was like, oh, look, Francisco Lindor, he's coming around. He hits nine home runs in September. He hit 257 with those nine home runs. Like it just, I'm just not sure his swing is geared for the current ball they're using. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's, he sacrifices a lot of batting average if he continues with that approach. And I do think he's going to bounce back to some degree, 25 homers, 15 steals maybe, but is he going to hit even 260? I don't feel confident in that. 
So it, it kind of sounds like a little worse than the Trevor story. We were the picture of Trevor story. We were just painting a minute ago. And I don't think, I don't think I want to pay for that. I, I don't want to think I want to pay a fourth round pick for that. I think you're underselling him a little bit. Well, you're, you're not the only one who thinks that. But, <laughs> well, but, but I think like with a lot of guys that we've talked about this with, I, I think that, that, that story does make sense. You know, the limited raw power, guys who got the most at like DJ LeMayhew and, and uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Biggio Lindor. He hits the ball harder than that. It was, yeah. It was he hits like the ball. 75th harder than average that. exit percentile. 75th yeah. percentile average exit velocity last year. Yeah. 71st percentile hard hit rate. Uh, 65th percentile on ex- expected slug. He's been above average each season of his career. The big change last season was one, the strikeout rate was higher than we've, gotten used to and that was especially true in that September and maybe that there's something there maybe he had to sell out for power and you know it was not quite no it was a little above 20% in September 30 strikeouts and 130 plate appearances and so Hmm. maybe that's the problem maybe but I don't know he hit nine home runs he hit 257 with a 267 Babbitt with a 22 ish percent strikeout rate I, I would be surprised if he strikes out that often you know this is a guy who for his career has mostly been in the 15% range. Last season was in the 18% range overall. So I do think there is room for him to go back to being a 270 hitter with, you know, 30 ish homers. Yeah. Which, you know, that's not the most likely outcome, I don't think. But yeah, I think it's no, entirely I, possible. I do think the power production will be there. I just think he <laughs> hard for it. Yeah, look, it, by it, elevating so much in those thirty September games, his batted ball profile changed too. Like forty nine percent fly ball rate, he he almost was selling out for power. He was also crushing the ball during that time. Ninety two mm-hmm. mile per hour average exit velocity, much higher than his season's average, and a thirteen percent barrel rate. I mean, if we're talking thirteen percent from a shortstop, that is truly an impressive mark. So, look, it's a small sample. I, I don't want to make too much out of it, but it seems like. That's when he got back on track. You know, he was healthy and, you know, maybe just the pressure was off at that point in the season. So I am living on narrative street when well, it comes to Francisco Lindor. I like him at this price tag in a categories league, uh, in a points league. I, I will take Wander Franco over him personally. I don't I, think it even needs to be like the narrative of like, oh, there was too much pressure. He can't handle playing in New York. You, know, <laughs> you got to be a special kind of guy to succeed in New York. It's true. Chris. I think it's just like. Guys change leagues, and it's really hard to hit against pitchers that you've never really seen. And guys who change leagues historically do see a dip in their production. Sure. Yeah. I, I want to say this about Wander Franco before we move on, just to drive home the point about the kind of hitter he is. He struck out 11 times between August and September. Crazy. He had 14 walks during that time, struck out 11 times. Can and I point out one, one thing? Okay. There's a little bit of uh, Ozzy Albies there potentially in terms of the uh, platoon splits. He is a switch hitter. He didn't hit righties as well in the minors as he hit lefties. And last season, he had a 303 Woba against righties, 320 X Woba compared to a 358 X Woba against lefties. So there could potentially be a little bit of that. That was something that I noticed in his minor league profile when he got called up. So. Just something to keep in mind, just because he's so young, it's he's not fully developed yet. It's not a reason to fade him, but you know, when when you're talking about players at this level and when you're talking about guys, you know, who are potentially being pushed up higher than their track record suggests, you know, you might have to look for, you know, nits to pick 
So I, what I was going to say is I kind of feel like he's this year's Vladimir Guerrero in terms of we're expecting the breakthrough one year. Is this the year? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's take him in round five and find out. But I, I feel like, I, I don't know, I, I feel a little better about Wander Franco at this price than I did about Vladimir Guerrero the past three years. Fair enough. Yeah, look, he is a special player, what he was able to accomplish last year as a 20-year-old, and then he went out in the postseason and he hit two more home runs in four games. So, I mean, on the biggest stage against, I'd like to say the best pitchers in the game, but I think they were going up against the Red Sox, so that's probably not true. So, uh, I'll just leave it there, but he's, look, he's super impressive, no doubt about it. We're going to take a quick uh, break, but when we return, we'll have a few more players here in ADP to talk about. Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, and Bobby Witt in particular. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, so let's get to Corey Seager, who has an ADP in the sixth round with 62.3. And now with the Texas Rangers, huge difference between the cost of Corey Seager, who again is going in round six, and Marcus Semien, who's going in round three. Both of them, uh, both of those players find themselves again with the Texas Rangers. Scott, this just feels like a great discount on Corey Seager, like... And last year, I probably wasn't going to pay a third round price tag for him. But now that we're getting uh, this discount, I don't know that playing in Texas alters his value this much. No, no. Um, And and by the way, I was paying second round for Corey Seager last (laughs) year. That's how much I liked him. And even though he did miss a large chunk of the season with a broken hand, I believe it was. Yeah, broken hand. And, you know, it was a little slow to come around after returning from that injury. He did he did eventually break through with the sort of numbers I was hoping for. His September was ridiculous. 385, nine home runs, uh, just caught fire. And the thing about him and why you know, I don't worry about him going to Texas as much as I do Marcus Simeon is it's just like the hitting skills are... there's much more disparity there than there is in the actual production that those two have had so far. Like you, you go to Corey Seager's stat cast page and it's just red everywhere. Like he is um, a great line drive hitter. He hits the ball very hard. His strikeout rates have been consistently low. His XBA has, uh, only once has it been lower than 294, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, that's about as good as it gets. And 
Yeah, I mean, I'd rather him play for the Dodgers than the Rangers, obviously. But I think he's the quality of hitter who's going to do his own thing regardless of who's batting around him or where he is. It's just, for him, it's just been staying healthy. And then he gets discounted in road, at least because he's not a base dealer at all. But, like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't really care about that, as I've said. Yeah, 2020 and 2021 combined for Corey Seager. 147 games, 306 batting average, 31 homers, 92 runs, 98 RBI, a 926 OPS, a truly elite player, and I don't think that is uh, solely a result of playing with the Dodgers. I'm, I'm sure it helps, obviously, with, with the pitches that he sees, but he's I don't. Freddie Freeman. Pretty much, yeah. Like yeah. he's Freddie Freeman with injury issues. Yeah, with if, not as know, not as much of a track record, obviously, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah, but I, I think when he's been on the field, like the difference between those two guys has been pretty negligible. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually funny. They were basically the two best hitters in baseball in the, the shortened season. And then even last year, like, their their rate stats were very very similar last season. Yeah, and and like all a lot of the under the hood numbers, like they're they're both among the most consistent line drive hitters in baseball. And hard and, line drives. Yeah, very very hard line drives. <laughs> right. Um, I would say that I think Corey Seager is probably a little bit better in a points league, but even in category, Scott, like if you need batting average or a little bit of pop in the middle rounds, I, I think he's perfectly fine as well. He just has really strong yeah. plate discipline, and obviously that lends itself to points leagues a little bit more. Javier Baez has an ADP of 71.8. We spoke about him on the second base podcast. Jorge Polanco, an ADP of 84.8. We also spoke about him on that podcast. Carlos Correa is the next man up who we have not talked about at all yet. 85.5 is the ADP, so he's going in the early eighth round. He, like Trevor Story, is a pending free agent, 27 years old, seemingly in the prime of his career. Had an awesome season last year, 279, 26 home runs, 107 runs scored, 92 RBI, zero steals. It seems like that part of his game is gone, but, you know, much like Corey Seager, I mean, he does what he does. He's going to give you, I think, good batting average and a good amount of power as well. There's actually a chance his batting average could be even better because he hit 279. The XBA was 296, so made a really, really strong contact last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris, why do you think Carlos Correa is being undervalued to this point, an early eighth-round pick, despite being the 46th overall player in fantasy baseball last year? A lot of fantasy baseball players or fantasy players in general take it personally when a player isn't as good as they think they are. And Carlos Correa has done that a lot in his career. He's hurt a lot of people. Uh, He has left a trail of broken hearts behind him. (laughs) Um, I mean, really, like, you know, I say it a little bit as a joke, but like how many times has Carlos Correa been like a player you were really, really thrilled that you drafted? I would argue 2020 might be the only season where you can really say that in his entire career. You remember one, you mean 2021? Sorry, yeah. right? Because 2016, you remember he was a borderline first rounder. Yeah, no, and when he was first getting started, yeah, he was like a first round type player. And the two seasons he has, he's had a 900 plus OPS. He's played 109 and 75 games. You know, mm-hmm. I, if he plays 148 games again, he's going to be well worth this price. He's going to be worth probably a third or fourth round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's only missed 16 games the past two seasons. So yeah, he's probably undervalued. Yeah. Um, I, I just think it's like somebody has to be pushed down because there's so many quality players here and Carlos Correa, because he has kind of this, this checkered health history and 
You know, he's not a base dealer like some of the shortstops we've talked about. Uh, he ends up being the guy. Plus, we don't know where he's going, and, and that could have an impact on his value, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't but, think it'll have a huge impact, but it'll have, it could have some impact. NFC drafters hate this dude. Because, yeah, it, because well, he doesn't provide I, speed. That's why. Because he doesn't what I speed. wonder is, like, why, you know, he doesn't provide speed, sure. But why is he going so far behind Xander Bogarts? Or Jorge Polanco. Well, there, yeah, uh, that too. But, I mean, obviously it's a huge difference in ADP between Correa and Bogarts. And I feel like they're very similar. I, You know, Bogarts obviously feels more secure, but is that worth four rounds? I don't mm. feel like it is in, in terms of expected production. You know, if, you, if, if you're of the mind like I am that he's more of a 25 homer guy than a 30 plus homer guy, then, you know, that that's Correa also. Maybe you'd project Bogarts for more batting average, but as you said, Frank, uh, he had a career low strikeout rate last year. I believe it was a career low. It was one of his lowest anyway. And um, the XBA, I think it was even higher than Bogarts. So Yeah, Bogarts always outperforms his. Sure. And I like again, I would give Bogarts a few more poor b- points of batting average if I'm just sticking to a single projection, but it's not they're just not that different. They're yeah. just not four. There's not four rounds of difference there. Yeah, it's like in a categories league is, is six to eight steals worth four rounds of, of value? Probably not. And you know, I'm probably just underselling the players uh, a little bit there. But we really have no idea where Correa is. I have no idea where Correa is going to play. It's uh, I guess the Yankees are an option. I don't think the Yankees are going to spend for Carlos Correa. Maybe. The Dodgers to replace Corey Seager and then move Trey Turner back over to second base. I, I don't. It's probably not going to happen either. Back to the Astros. I, I guess there's a possibility, but it, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. The Cubs were rumored to be interested in Carlos Correa. I just I have no idea where he's going to wind up at this point. So I, I think that's kind of been the driving force for for his uh, his value so far. Um, Scott, you kind of answered this question, I guess, but like, why would you take as much as we like the value on Corey Seager as well? It's like. Is there a huge difference between Seager and Correa? And they're going about 20 to 25 picks apart. So it seems curious. I, I, I actually think Seager's a better hitter than Bogarts. Yes. Okay. Uh, he hasn't really had gotten a chance to show it over a full-length season. But I, I do think there's a higher ceiling there. Having said that, I find that I'm not often taking... and I'm not... Ta- I, you know, I haven't done that many drafts yet. But I so far, I haven't been taking Seager as often as I thought I would because... Guys like Correa and then some even lower on the list, I'd be satisfied with my start. Uh, I'd, I'd be satisfied to have as my starting shortstop. All right. Well, after Carlos Correa goes, we see Jazz Chisholm with an ADP of 91. He also goes in the eighth round, and we spoke about him on our second base position preview. And then next up, we have Bobby Witt, who has an ADP of 98.5. Bobby Witt Jr., by the way, the top prospect in fantasy baseball this upcoming season. Obviously, Julio Rodriguez has a lot of upside as well, outfielder for the Seattle Mariners, but we're not exactly sure when we're going to see Julio Rodriguez. He's a little bit younger than Bobby Witt, so I think maybe you know further into the season, but it sounds like there's a real chance that Bobby Witt could start the season with the Kansas City Royals. We'll see what happens yeah. in terms of the new CBA and, and what they do uh, there, but he was amazing last year. 290 batting average, 33 homers, 29 steals, a 936 OPS between AA and AAA. I really don't think there's much left for him to prove in the minors. The question, Scott, becomes the price tag. So 98.5 ADP, ninth round. Can you actually see yourself pulling the trigger on Bobby Witt Jr. at that point? 
mm-hmm. other top prospects in years past. Their ADP, Luis Robert, 81.7 in 2020. Vladimir Guerrero, 51.1 in 2019. Ronald Acuna, 100.5 in 2018. So this yeah. actually feels like a fair price for the top prospect in the game. It does, and I remember of those pre- those three you mentioned, the one I was most adamant about drafting was Acuna. And then maybe in response to Acuna, we saw those others elevated the next couple of years and, and they didn't quite live up to it as rookies. So maybe we're seeing it, this sort of um, association there. And uh, so it's being pushed back to a fairer price range. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've ever gone for it in round nine, but maybe like round 10 in a 12-team league if he's there, I will... You know, certainly if I don't have shortstop filled yet, or even if it's a middle infield spot that I'm filling, I'd go for it because that power speed combo. I know I'm being unintentional about stolen bases, but if they're there in round 10, the possibility for them, we know the Royals like to run. They got all those big base dealers there. I expect that to carry over for wit, and it could be a huge score here. It is, it is a bit of a risk because if shortstop is as loaded as we've been saying, then most of your opponents are going to have a great option there. And if, if Witt doesn't live up to expectations or for some reason he's delayed for several weeks, it could uh, it could put you at a real disadvantage early. But I think the reward is worth it. Uh, as, as high as the upside is for Bobby Witt, and I'm, I'm actually kind of interested in the price tag here on him this season, but uh, Chris, the one thing I do worry about with him is the batting average and the strikeouts. Now, those got better last year at AAA for him, but I know some people, some prospect people have have done studies that showed that uh, AAA pitching was actually worse last year than it has been in a, in a couple of years. So it's like, take some of AAA's production last year at face value. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and if that's the case, like we've heard a lot about this jump from AAA to the majors being the hardest that it's ever been. I feel like maybe we could see struggles with the batting average and strikeouts in particular well, for Bobby Witt. I know I'm not Chris, but there's there was basically no minor league track record before last year. Yeah. So I don't yeah. even know what we're comparing last year's strikeout rate to. Well, no, he Fair he enough. meant I he just, lowered it from double A AA to triple A. Okay. Yeah. Um but yeah, we like it it goes it is worth saying that he went from 37 games in 2019 at rookie ball to a 939 OPS at double A as a 21 year old without having ever played uh, at class A, high A, anything in between rookie ball. So the degree of difficulty for what Bobby Witt Jr. did last season is, is pretty significant. Um, I think your expectation should be that, yeah, he struggles a little bit. That should be your expectation with every top prospect. And if they exceed your expectation, that's why you draft them. You're not drafting them for the, you're not drafting Bobby Witt for the most likely outcome because the most likely outcome is he probably hits 255 with a 2020 pace and is a good but not great fantasy option. That's, that's Trevor's story. That, that's what <laughs> right. we're saying Trevor's story will be. Right. But, yeah. you know, Trevor's story presumably will be on an opening day roster. We don't know about Bobby Witt. Yeah. We, you know, there's, there's more unknowns and the downside is he gets sent down. Trevor's story probably not going to be sent down this no. season. Um, <laughs> I want to think so. So yeah, it's, it's um you know there, there's more risk, but you're drafting Bobby Witt because of the upside, and, and mm-hmm. you see with someone like Fernando Tatis or Ronald Acuna what the upside could turn into. Um, and it's 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 right at that point in the draft where I feel like 
the pendulum swings to where you should focus more on upside than than downside. It's like right there, which is like why I like that that cost for a, a top prospect like him. He's another guy whose price at NFC is significantly different. It's ninety two point five at NFC. Um, actually, is that significant, significantly different? No, it's not. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so I'm seeing a half round. Yeah, I'm seeing it ninety eight point five overall on Fantasy Pros, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm seeing it at ninety for for NFBC. So it's a little bit higher. And again, you know. Yeah. That's a format where a lot of people are shooting for upside. And again, like mm-hmm. if Bobby Witt hits and he turns into, you know, what Ronald Acuna was in his rookie year, which again was like, you know, a, a 20 plus homer pace, 20 plus steel pace, uh, then then it's awesome to take that shot at this point in the and draft. He's right ahead of Jonathan India, Brian Reynolds, Dalton Varsho, Giancarlo Stanton. Like that feels like an okay place to take that tra- chance. I, I think I'd rather just do it with Carlos Correa. Um, or at a different position, I'd rather just do it with Cody Ballinger or Christian Yelich because we have seen them play at that level. But you, it's not hard to understand why Bobby Wood's going where he is. No, that's exactly what I was going to say, Potentially Chris. a little rich. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. It is, again, like Scott mentioned this, this is the point where you want to take a shot on the upside, like right around pick 100, and that's where Bellinger's been going. And uh, he was a player that I loved, and I mentioned that on our previous podcast, but I, I just it just feels like the right point of your draft to take a shot like that. So whether it's Bobby Witt or Cody Bellinger or Yelich, somebody like that, um, it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good spot to, to take that chance. Uh, all right, let's get into sleepers, breakouts, and busts here at the shortstop position. And Scotty, we will start with you, a sleeper at shortstop. Oh, sleepers. Uh, I'll go with um, O'Neal Cruz as the sleeper. I don't have... You know, this this isn't my favorite position for sleepers because there's already so many established high-end guys there. But O'Neill Cruz is going outside the top 250 picks and um, tons of upside there, tons of upside. He played two games for the Pirates last year and already owns the Pirates record for hardest hit ball. He's six foot seven and he really figured out how to um, leverage his leverage, <laughs> if that makes sense, <laughs> to maximize his power output. He was always uh, billed as having this potential like 40 homer outcome because of his physique and, and, and swing and everything. But he, he, it, it, it seems like in you know projecting out his numbers in the minors last year that he finally figured out then. Um, and he was a pretty good steel source in the minors as well. He's already come up and played shortstop at the major league level, so I know there were a lot of questions coming up. How could a six foot seven guy play shortstop? And maybe he won't last there forever, but the Pirates were clearly willing to give him a go for now. When you got a guy that big, it stands to reason there are going to be holes in his swing, and and maybe he'll just get buried by major league pitching in a way we didn't see in the minors. His strikeout rates were never that bad in the minors, though. And you know, I I think if you uh, I think for the price, it doesn't really hurt to take an optimistic stance with him. We got to see if he'll actually be on the team coming out of spring training, but since he was up late last year, I don't expect his arrival to be delayed long, if at all. I mean, who's blocking him on the Pirates, right? So, yeah, O'Neal Cruz, late-round pick, especially in a, like a, a league where you got a middle infield spot. That sounds like a pretty good choice to me. Wow, Scott, show some respect to Kevin Newman and Cole Tucker, will you? 
you know? Nah. <laughs> Come on. I'm actually with you, man. O'Neill Cruz is who I had written down here as my sleeper at shortstop as well. Awesome last season in the minors, 310 batting average, 17 homers, 19 steals. You mentioned 118.2 max exit velocity, the hardest batted ball by a Pirates player in stack in the StatCast era. And I, I realize this is just one batted ball event, so I don't want to make too much out of it, but he hit a home run. In those Took first two games. games. Get it. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> and um, he, the home run that he hit, it was on an 0-2 changeup. Down, out of the zone. He had to go down. He had to golf it. He had to get it up. And he he smoked it. Like, he hit it a long way. I think it was off of Michael Givens, like, late in a game, relief appearance. I was just pretty impressed that that's how he hit his first home run. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of upside there. The ADP, 241.5. We talked about taking a chance on Bobby Witt, one of the top prospects in the game. Why not? Do it even later in your drafts with O'Neill Cruz. Uh, Chris, you are up a sleeper at shortstop. Well, I, I guess is this where I point out that a lot of what we're saying about O'Neill Cruz sounds a lot like what we were saying about Cabrian Hayes a year ago, except he had a bigger sample size. I think O'Neal that Cruz the, had a bigger sample size. No, uh, Cabrian Hayes. No, look, look at what O'Neill Cruz did in the minors. That's yeah, really right, right. It, yeah, his was, offensive profile was is better in the minors than Cabrian yeah. Hayes's was. Yeah, no, I'm so. just. I'm just being a stick in the mud. How dare you, Chris? Um, I'm going with a fairly deep sleeper and someone that I've only recently talked myself into just a little bit as a late round flyer. I may have actually poo-pooed this guy like within the last five <laughs> episodes of this podcast, but <laughs> I took a deeper look and I think Ahmed Rosario is more interesting than he gets credit for. Obviously, I think most people view him as just potentially like a decent batting average and stolen bases source. We'll see. He's another guy like Tim Anderson who could probably steal a lot more bases than he does in 97th percentile in sprint speed. The thing that stands out for me is there's just a teeny tiny little bit of Cattell Marte in his profile, pre-breakout Cattell Marte. Big-time prospect who failed to live up to the expectations. Cattell Marte wasn't quite as big of a prospect as Rosario, but Rosario actually on occasion, hits the ball pretty hard. He had a 68% hard hit rate last season. His max exit velo was in the 80th percentile at 111.5 miles per hour. And, you know, that's one of those things where it could just be one batted ball event, but uh, max exit velo does tend to work pretty well as a stand-in for raw power. The problem for Ahmed Rosario, of course, is he just pounds the ball into the ground. Um, 5.6 degree average launch angle, 2.8% barrel rate, despite hitting the ball hard consistently. So that's the concern is that he slaps at the ball too much. There's no, that's really the best way to describe what Ahmad Rosario does as a hitter. He's just, he is so rarely looking to drive the ball. It's, it's so often that he's just out there lunging at the ball and he probably shouldn't be trying to be a slap hitter. He was a high batting average guy in the minors but it hasn't really worked out all that well for him in the majors. He should be trying to drive the ball more and letting some of that natural skill set, uh, you know, come to life. And I, I don't necessarily have good reason to believe it will. But when you're talking about one of your last picks, which I'm uh, Ahmed Rosario should be, he's a guy who's probably going to play every day. Oh, he's not one of your last picks. So he's 162nd point four. Sorry. Uh, I think it was closer to 200. Where is that? NFBC? NFC, yeah. Yeah, uh, Fantasy Proceeds 207.3, so much later there. That's Yeah, that's a little more like what I, I would expect to be reasonable for him. And it's the kind of thing where, worst case scenario, you probably get a 270 batting average and 15 steals, and there's room for him to break out. 
I think. I'm with I Chris. I, I like Ahmed Rosario. He got off to a really slow start last year. Obviously, comes over in the Francisco Lindor trade, so uh, the inverse of Lindor, you know, playing for a new team. Uh, got to get acclimated to a new league, obviously. But from May 1st on, 296 batting average, 9 homers, 13 steals in 119 games. I remember a lot last year. I was talking up Ahmed Rosario. Scott was like, don't do this. Don't do the Ahmed Rosario thing. And I would just keep talking him up. And I think he was solid. And I think for where he goes in drafts, particularly in a categories league, to tr- to find batting average and like a 15 steal contributor at that point, it's it's pretty rare. So I like it. I'm in on Ahmed Rosario as well. I, I do want to say that there is a shortstop going one spot behind Ahmed Rosario who averaged about as many fantasy points per He averaged more fantasy points per games last year than Xander Bogarts. <laughs> and that's that's Brandon Crawford. Yeah, who sure. I almost picked yeah. as my sleeper just because like... Nobody believes in it. Nobody believes in it. And I don't believe in it either, but... You know, for the cost, uh, I mean, what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, like, maybe we should believe in it at least a little bit because there were signs of it the year before. His expected well-bound contact took a a pretty sizable leap from 347 to 371, made another leap to 405 the following season. But, you know, there were were signs that he was hitting the ball with more authority and the, the Giants, you know, we've talked about it a handful of times. They've, they've done this enough with enough guys that they do deserve some benefit of the doubt. The underlying numbers suggest that there wasn't very much that was fluky about what he did last season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially the power production and it, it was his, he did a better job of elevating than ever before. And, and I mm-hmm. wonder how much, um, I don't actually know his home away splits, but you know, obviously the Oracle park, the giants stadium has played differently the past couple of years. So it hasn't been such an extreme pitcher environment that it's slightly better at home that it had been. Yeah. Slightly better at home last year. So I wonder if that's part of the improvement too, is just, he's not getting crushed by his home environment so much as mm-hmm. we've seen with Brandon belt the last two years, the other Brandon and, uh, but you know, he's 35. Uh, yeah, he just turned 35 and, you know, shortstops typically don't age. Well, they, they don't, they don't, they're not often still good at 35, much less having a career season. So mm-hmm. it's, um, and the power production did decline in the second half, though not, you know, he made up for it with a higher batting average. So, you know, it was still, he was a quality player all season long. It's just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to nitpick that much when he's going around 200th on average, you know? It's mm-hmm. like, there really isn't that much concrete to actually nitpick. You're kind of uh, it, other than just yeah, like track record. It's kind of just nitpicking. Like, well, I don't believe it is basically, right. but that that's not Which a nitpick, fine. And you and know. you know, if yeah. people were drafting him like Xander Bogarts or even like Carlos Correa, I'd be like, come on, guys, look at this Brandon Crawford. Look what <laughs> look who he's been throughout his career. But yeah. they're not drafting him anywhere close to that. No, they are not. The ADP for Brandon Crawford is two oh eight, and I think that this is a fine range to target your middle infielder in leagues where you need one of those. Ahmed Rosario, if you need some batting average and some speed. Brandon Crawford, if you're looking for some pop, maybe a little bit of batting average as well. Uh, O'Neal Cruz going even later than Brandon Crawford. Again, if you want to take a shot on some power and some speed. Crawford finishes the 43rd overall player in Roto last year, 3.3 fantasy points per game. 
Yeah. Even like he doesn't even have he to come close. Steals, too. He doesn't even have to come close to that production. Even if he's if he manages to finish as like a top 100 or top 125 player at his cost yeah. right now, it, it would be a steal. So I, I think it's good on you guys to mention Brandon Crawford as well. Let's quickly move through breakouts and bus. Chris, who do you have as a breakout at shortstop? I'll let you take this one. It's Willie Adamas, and I'm sure you've got that great uh, away from Tropicana field number pulled up that I do not have off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after the trade story surfaced of him talking about how he couldn't see the ball well at Tropicana field. And he was like a 670 OPS bat in his career at Tropicana field. He was a disaster, but this was a guy who was a top prospect at one point, a uh, top 12 prospect in the baseball, I believe before, uh, you know, he actually got called up and then he gets traded away from Tropicana field. And lo and behold, he's this awesome, like high 800s OPS hitter. Yeah. I think that's probably just what he is. So the, the, the numbers during his stint with the Rays away from Tropicana field, he hit 291 with an 858 OPS. And then with the Brewers last year, he hit 285 with an 886 OPS. Basically, Mm-hmm. The exact same numbers. And for what it's worth, during his time playing at Tropicana Field with the Braves, he hit 219 with a 624 <laughs> OPS. So, like, that was clearly dragging everything down. His strikeout rate got a lot better with the Brewers, too. It's worth noting. Yep. Um, like, this is another reason why I'm comfortable. Yeah. This person is another reason why I'm comfortable waiting at shortstop. Because, like, even if I, you know, wait too long and don't get Correa... It's like, whatever, I'll just get Willie Adamas, who might be better than Correa, by the way. Yeah, he, he, he might be the, the most, the, the player we look back on and say, what did we miss when it comes to his ADP? Like, he might be the most obviously undervalued player in fantasy right now. Yeah, it would not surprise me one bit if we're drafting him as a top 50 or top 60 player this time next year. Uh, again, that is Willie Adamas. Scott referenced a bunch of the numbers last season with the Milwaukee Brewers. What's even more interesting, as great as he was once he moved over to the Brewers, he hit just 236 with an 802 OPS at American Family Field in Milwaukee. Formerly How's that batter's eye. <laughs> formerly, formerly Miller Park. So it's just interesting yeah. that he was that much better with the Brewers, but still not that great yet in his home venue. So I, again, I think there's even room for more upside and I drafted him last week as my shortstop in the head to head points mock draft that we did. And I'm perfectly Always fine disappointed when I don't get him as one of those players. Always yep. disappointed. Yep. So he was my breakout as well. Chris, I'm right there with you, Scott. Do you have a different breakout or were nope. you also it was on- a clean sweep? We all, all, all right. saying of Willie Adamas. All right. So the official podcast of Willie Adamas here is fantasy baseball today. Make a, make sure to draft him uh, if you haven't already or whenever you start doing your your baseball leagues this season. Bus at the position. Scotty, who you got? I know we have a few, quite a few candidates. Yeah, so I already used Jazz Chisholm for second base, and I could have used Marcus Simeon or Baez for second base as well. So I feel like you ranted about both of them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, go back and listen to what I said about them at second base, but basically I don't. I, I feel like Simeon's environment is going to drag down numbers that already seems unsustainable even more. And for Baez, just like the, you know, it's such an extreme profile outlier BABIP and home run to fly ball rate every year. It got even more outrageous for him in those areas last year, which is how he overcame a worse strikeout rate. And now he's going to Detroit, a terrible a uh, place for somebody who hits a right-handed hitter who hits it out the opposite way as often as he does that, you know, we saw Nick Castellanos go from Detroit to Chicago. 
I know Baez stopped with the Mets in between, but you know, you saw the impact Castellanos had making how it impacted him making that opposite move. And, and it may be what finally brings Baez down. Yep. I think we're all somewhat in agreement there. I had Semyon and Baez written down here. Chris, I know you have Jazz Chisholm written down as a bust, and we spoke about him on the second base position preview, so you can go uh, check that out as well. Let's wrap up here with some ADP review, and these are based on 12-team leagues. In round one, Fernando Tatis at 1.3, Trey Turner 2.0, and Bo Bichette at 6.5. The third round, we see Marcus Semyon with an ADP of 31.8. In the fourth round, Trevor Story, 38.5. Xander Bogarts, 39.8. Tim Anderson at pick 40 on the dot. In the fifth round, Francisco Lindor, pick 49. And Wander Franco at pick 52. In round six, Corey Seager with an ADP of 62.3 at the round 6-7 turn. We see uh, Javier Baez at 71.8. At the 7-8 turn, Jorge Polanco, 84.8 is the ADP. In round eight, Carlos Correa at 85.5. Jazz Chisholm at pick 91. In the ninth round, we see Bobby Witt Jr. go at pick 98.5. Uh, 20 picks later, we see the uh, a shortstop we ha- haven't talked about yet, and this is round 10. Dansby Swanson, 117.8. A fine year for Dansby Swanson last year. 248 batting average, 27 home runs, 88 RBI, 9 steals. So he chips in a little bit of speed. Obviously, the power is there. Scott, I think at this point, 274 batting average in 2020 looks like the outlier. I think Dansby pretty clearly is a 250 hitter, you know, 25-ish home runs, 8 to 10 steals, probably better player in Roto than he is in a points league. He's fine. Probably somebody I would want more as a middle infielder than a starting shortstop, which means I don't think that I'll wind up with a lot of Dansby Swanson. What do you think? Scott, you're muted. I was coughing there earlier. Sorry. I I don't think anybody's excited to draft Dansby Swanson this year because, uh, you know, we, we have a better sense of who he is now. And it's with all the, exciting options at shortstop he just doesn't quite measure up but you know you get to this point in the draft especially a league with middle infield spots he's he's fine he's fine he's more likely to hurt than help in batting average but decent power production a little bit of speed he's fine yeah again uh, better in a roto or categories league just 2.6 fantasy points per game last year but finished 72nd overall in roto so the adp right around pick 120 you're actually getting a bit of profit there based on what he did last season, if he could just replicate the numbers that he put up in 2021. 10 picks later, we see in the 11th round, Jake Cronenworth. He has triple eligibility, first, second, and shortstop at pick 126.3. We see three players going between picks 140 and 150. Willie Adamas at 140.3, Chris Taylor at 146, and then Glaber Torres at pick 148.8. And Chris, we spoke about both Taylor and Glaber Torres on the second base position preview, is there anything else you'd like to add on those two? I mean, Glaber, there's not much to be optimistic. You know, you know how we were talking about with Brandon Crawford that like his age is the only thing you can really make an argument against as far as what he actually did. Glaber, kind of the opposite, where there, there's not much you can look at in the underlying numbers and be like, oh yeah, maybe there's something there. His underlying numbers, I mean, God, they look worse than someone like Ahmed Rosario's. Hmm. So yeah, it's- yeah, I'm I'm done with them. I'm I'm writing. Um, I was before the podcast just writing about 
12 overrated players, according to ADP. And I, I got, I got Glaber Torres on the list. And that's, you know, in like the 12th round. Yeah. So not exactly a high price. Right. Yeah. It's just, we have no idea what to expect at this point. It's, been such a weird turn for Glaber Torres. The batted ball metrics have really plummeted the past two years. I know he's dealt with either two or three different COVID situations, so mm-hmm. maybe that's taken some kind of toll on him. I'm just speculating there, but uh, I guess it's a possibility. Last year, he was really pressing to try and hit for power, and, and it just did not work for him. So uh, mm-hmm. he's just got to kind of go back to the drawing board and, and figure out what what works best for him. Um, and And even if he figures that out, I'm not sure that that's an overly exciting player for fantasy baseball purposes at this point. Uh, three more shortstops going between picks 170 and 200 in ADP. Brendan Rodgers, 173.8. Eugenio Suarez at 187.3. Luis Arias at pick 200. We spoke about Rodgers and Arias at length on our previous podcast. The one we did not is Eugenio Suarez here, Scott, who just has not been the same since he had shoulder surgery back in January of 2020. The batting average, the expected batting average during that span has been quite bad. However, he still does hit the ball pretty hard. An 18% barrel rate was a career high for, for someone who has as much power as Eugenio Suarez. And he ended the season strong. Monster September, 370 batting average, eight homers, a 1268 OPS. I'm not saying that that's real or you know necessarily even buying into it. But at this cost, if you need power late in your drafts, I'm kind of interested. I'm kind of interested yeah, in Eugenio Suarez. I, I am. I mean, he's hit he's hit 199 since the start of 2020, but the power that allowed him to hit 49 home runs in 2019, it's still more or less been there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't know what happened, what changed last September. I don't know what changed prior to that either. But like, it's the cost is. It, it doesn't hurt to take a flyer on him, especially since he's eligible third base. I mean, that's probably more what you're drafting him to play in fantasy. There's there are so few exciting options at that position that I don't think it's I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a flyer on Suarez here. Two more shortstops between picks 200 and 210. Ahmed Rosario, 207.3. Brandon Crawford, 208. We spoke about both of those players. Two more going between picks 240 and 250. O'Neill Cruz at 241.5. Gavin Lux at 242.3. And Chris, you didn't really talk about O'Neill Cruz much when we mentioned him, but uh, it sounded like there was a bit of skepticism there. So what do you think about him as a potential sleeper slash breakout candidate? At this point in the draft, I think the point in the draft is fine. Now, that's the that's the thing is that I, I thought there was going to be a point where like he got pushed up into the one fifty range, but where he's actually going, even in NFC drafts, which tend to chase upside two twenty three point three overall, like there, you can't really make a case against him. Fair enough. For some re- for some reason, like the the projections, some of the more famous projectors in the world have have been strangely high on him like giving him a 280 batting average as a rookie with with some potential strikeout concerns uh, yeah so, you steamer know, it's, it's in particular it, steamer in of, particular really likes him yeah so it's it's kind of surprising he hasn't gotten pushed up more just because of that i think the bat I don't think he's came out 280 this year i mean the bat and bad x came out and i think that's probably why because those don't like him at all the, those that projection system is famously more pessimistic on rookies than uh, others, but 
Yeah, they've got him for a 246 average and a 712 OPS. So that, that explains Yeah, that's more reasonable. I mean, what kind of power production? 14, 14 homers. homers in 113 games. So that might be underselling him a bit, I think. But yeah, the batting average seems more reasonable from them. Yeah, I think if you go to O'Neill Cruz's Fangraphs page and you look at the projections at the bottom, you just you get a a, a picture on on just the wide range of outcomes that, that we could see mm-hmm. uh, for him this upcoming season. Anywhere from a 246 batting average to a 281 batting average. Anywhere from 14 homers to 22 homers, and and with good amount of speed mixed in there as well. So um, I, I think the upside is pretty high, but again, with most prospects, the downside is pretty low as well. Two more shortstops going between picks 250 and 290. Nicky Lopez, 269.8, and Gio Urshela, 289.8. Uh, Scott, Nicky Lopez, if nothing else, can give you some speed at this point in the draft. I don't think he's going to give you anything else. Gio Urshela, oh, I'm... Not true. Uh, well, gonna, I, I think he's going to give you bad average. I think yeah. he's going to give you... Maybe. A good batting average over the final four months, he hit about 330, and he was about a 300 batting average guy throughout his minor league career. Uh, so, you know, I I like him more as a steel specialist than Miles Straw, the outfielder who goes 100 picks earlier. I, I think I think there's more. I think Lopez does more, and obviously the cost is way different. Uh, in that article I wrote about the the zero SP strategy, I, I did say the one player I might be intentional about drafting stolen bases for is Nicky Lopez, actually, because he's going at a point in the draft where there aren't reliable home run hitters either. So particularly if I didn't get a big chunk of steals with my first round pick, I, I am probably looking to draft Nicky Lopez late. All right. The ADP in the 300 plus range some final shortstops here. Josh Rojas, Jonathan Villar, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Andres Jimenez, David Fletcher, J.P. Crawford. Andres Jimenez, by the way, the dream never dies. 271 batting average, three homers, and four steals in the month of September. Andres Jimenez making a comeback soon. Probably not, but he goes super late. Uh, Chris, anyone here in this last group that you're kind of interested in? Yeah, I mean, it's possible Jimenez figures things out. He's only 23. Um, yes. I think he was probably a little overrated as a prospect going into last season. Fair. Um, I didn't really get why he was he was like a top 150 pick last season. I didn't really get that. But at this price, like he hit well in AAA. Maybe there's some, some you know, heretofore unseen uh, hit skill that he can tap into. J.P. Crawford is like, the last volume play you can get at shortstop. Like yeah. he he's he might score 80 runs. Projected to lead off as of now for the Seattle Mariners, but uh, we'll see. They've been linked to free agents like Trevor Story and, and Chris Bryant, so maybe that changes things up there as well. Scott, some prospects to know for this upcoming season. We mentioned Bobby Witt Jr. and O'Neill Cruz. Anthony Volpe, maybe later on in the season for the Yankees. C.J. Abrams with the Padres. Lots of speed there. Oswald Peraza, another Middle infield prospect for the Yankees here. Bryson Stott, who we heard our good buddy Chris Welsh rave about earlier in the offseason uh, when uh, recapping the Arizona Fall League. Big fan of him with the Phillies. Uh, and then Jose Barrero should get an opportunity to play with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, do you have yeah. one or two of these prospects, you know, outside of the top names that we've already talked about that you're interested in this season? I don't, I don't, I don't feel like these guys are hugely stashable except in like maybe league-specific formats. Okay. 
Jose Barrero, though, there's a chance he's the opening day center fielder, actually, for the Reds. Kyle Farmer um, had a pretty good year at shortstop last year, and I think they're going to want to stick with him there for now. But Barrero could eventually shift there, of course, and uh, got some exposure to center field last year and might be somebody they look to there. I think he's he's definitely the closest to contributing. We've already seen him in the majors. Bryson Stott is probably the second closest to contributing. They don't have the upside of, of like a C.J. Abrams or, or Anthony Volpe, but those those are probably more long shots to contribute this year. All right, we're going to wrap there. Shortstop, a loaded position indeed. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.